The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madir, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. Welcome to the Forever Fab Podcast, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madere, the founder of the Holistic Plastic Surgery Philosophy and your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. This week's episode is dedicated to self-worth. And the topic is negotiating a fabulous life, women, money, and the power of high self-worth. Welcome to my interview with Jennifer Justice. Jennifer Justice, my gosh, spent over 11 years, over 11 years negotiating some of the most epic deals in the music industry. She has worked with some names you may or may not recognize, Mark Ronson, Outkast, Rihanna, Beyonce, and Jay-Z, with whom, notably, she helped to launch the streaming service, Tidal. That's major, Jennifer. She is the former EVP of Strategic Marketing and Business Development for Rock Nation and the former president of Superfly Productions. It is clear to me that Jennifer loves music, but I also believe that she loves helping women and supporting women put their best face forward more. She is now the CEO and founder of the Justice Department, a female-focused and woke males, may I add, legal and strategic advisory firm that works to get women equal pay, achieve their business goals, and jumpstart their success, and actually add even more to their success. Jennifer's accolades are many, <laughs> and as fly as she is, and I'm sure you'll see that too, she has graciously agreed to spend some time with me on the Forever Fab podcast today. So I'll stop there and get on with the interview. She joined us today via Zoom. Thank you, Jennifer, and welcome to Forever Fab. <laughs> thank you. That is quite an introduction. Appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Amazing. Of course. Yeah. of course. So let's get it started, shall we? Yes, of course. Tell me a bit about your history, Jennifer, about your childhood. Um, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Um, well, I am from the Pacific Northwest and from a, you know, not, um, not a, like a, high, a higher educated family, um, really working class and, and, you know, pretty under, um, 
underserved kind of population. And it, and so, you know, my mother didn't graduate high school with, because she was pregnant with my sister. And, and so really for me, like I just knew I wanted a different life. I knew I wanted a life with choices and I wanted, you know, I, and I saw that the way to get that was higher education. Um, and thankfully, you know, I did well in school and um, it would, became a priority of mine. So at that moment and just growing up, I wasn't quite sure, um, but I knew I had something to do with getting me out of where I was and that yeah. I had a lot more money than what I had. That's pretty, you know, pretty compelling enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it did help me, you know, move on to the next level of deciding to go to college. Yes. And, you know, when you don't have any money, you don't really know where to go to college or you don't, you know, so you just kind of hear about things. Um, I really wanted to go to Stanford. My counselors were like, you look, you could go, but it's going to be so expensive for out of state. You just don't have the financial means to go. So why do you go to University of Washington? You'll get, you know, a scholarship, you'll get grants. And that's what I did. So I ended up going there. I was living in Seattle during like kind of those grunge years It had kind of taken off. And I was really into music. So I was hanging out at those clubs, meeting those bands because Seattle is actually very small when it comes down to it. Yes. And um, I was like, I know I'll be a music attorney. And, <laughs> you know, because I graduated college and it's not like I had a college roommate dad network to be like, oh, you can do this and I'm going to refer you to that. Like I, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know what was available. I didn't have anybody to help me. You know, I went to the, you know, the counselor's office, the, you know, the, the recruiting office and they were sending me on insurance sales and wine distribution and I was like this is not what I want to be doing you know yeah. so I was like okay I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna go to law school and thankfully I got into Cornell Law School which you know helped propel me to another level and opened me up to the east coast New York City I was like this is my place yes and I'm gonna be a music entertainment attorney so when ignorance is bliss right just folly to be wise and that's what I did <laughs> listen I have a lot of love for the University of Washington. I, oh, have, family, I have family in Seattle. Amazing. And my, my cousin um, went to school there, graduated, and um, was drafted into the NBA from University of oh, Washington, wow. defensive player of the year. So I have a lot of love. I love it. So yeah, we're, yeah. We're a kindred spirit that way. I get it. That's right. Go Huskies, exactly. <laughs> well, I love that you were so determined, but at the same time that you were determined and focused, you kind of went with the flow, right? Because you said ignorance is bliss. So you had an idea of what you loved. And then, right. you thought, yeah, this, this, this feels right. But at the same yeah. time, you didn't necessarily know what was next. Is that yeah. right? I just kind of, kind of kept that going with my instinct, you know, and it was like, well, what, what are my alternatives to stay here? No. And, you know, it's like, you know, like a lot of people who are growing up and a little like, you know, you know, maybe a little insecure finding their way. It's like, you kind of think, oh, I'm going to go with the whole crowd. Oh, we're all going to go to law school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all going to go to college. And then like, <laughs> I sign up and I'm like, okay, did everybody sign up? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, I guess. I'm going, Yeah, you know, and I just kept finding that courage to move on into the unknown and, um, you know, follow a very non-traditional path from my upbringing. So, um, but, you know, thankfully it just kept me moving, you know, forward and moving forward and moving forward, you know, and I remember even in times in law school, which was torture and so hard and like <laughs> so emotionally and mentally draining. I'm like, I'm going to give up. I want to give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm like, what else am I going to do? where am I going? Yeah. You know, and that just kept motivating me. 
Well, it sounds as if you uh, have a lot of grit and courage, and I'm glad that you continued to power through because again, you went in like, hey, we're all going to do this together. And like everybody else dropped out. But yeah, you. exactly. It's like, okay, never mind. Okay, uh, I'm <laughs> it. I'm it. <laughs> so, okay, you go to law school and you graduate and now it's time to find some work. And you did. Um, what was your first experience working um, with people in music or within the music industry that solidified your choice that made you say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm good. This, this is where I want to be. Well, when I went into, you know, between your second and third year of law school, you intern, you know, at these big Wall Street firms. And it just really, like, I walked in there and it felt so foreign. First of all, it was a woman, not a lot of them. No. You know, second, like, you know, I stood out. I was tall. I'm five, eight, you know, five, nine, five, ten with heels. Yeah. I'm like, you know, really like blonde, like thin. Like, it was just like, I didn't fit in, right? I just didn't fit in there. We just didn't look the type. No one, you know, really expected me to be smart. And, um, and it just was like, I wasn't from there. I didn't go to the right school. I didn't, you know, prep here. I didn't go to, I mean, I went to the right school as far as Cornell was concerned, but it was just like, I just didn't fit in. Like people, mm-hmm. you know, had connections and um, so just all around, like, and, and so, you know, like they were nice to me. It was great. Like, you know, I did well, I suppose, but it just wasn't like, I wasn't passionate about it. Yeah. And then when I got into, you know, started interviewing to be a music attorney and then got the job, like, I was like, oh, I can get clients here. Like, and you know, it's like, I was going out of clubs at night in Soho, you know, and then wearing a suit by day. Like it just was a <laughs> double life. Yes. And, you know, so it was, um, I could leave, like it, I, it, my my world merged, right? So I didn't have to have two different wardrobe. I, I didn't have to have two different identities. Um, it was just, you know, yeah, it was just different. Um, and I, I became like, uh, it became obvious to me that I could actually succeed here. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. That, um, that was a, that's a beautiful merging. Yeah. Serendipity, fortuity, fortuity, whatever you call it, that you manifested it, but it came together nicely for you. Yeah, it did. And, um, and so I knew this is where I needed to be. And I could, and, you know, for the most part, like a lot of musicians are, you know, are musicians because they're so naturally talented. It's not like they went to a higher education to do it. um, Or a lot of them came from meager means like I did. Um, And so I really identified with them, because all of a sudden, they're like, they're told they have to have an attorney, they're not really sure why they're not really sure what to ask them. And, you know, it's not a litigator, it's transactional. And they're like, oh, okay. And so it can be intimidating. And like, do you know, um, and I just let, you know, put them all at ease to be like, I'm from there too. Like, if I, if somebody told me I had to have an attorney, I'd be like, okay, well, how do I even choose one? Right. You know, and so it's a lot of trust and, um, exactly. And so I did, you know, I did well in speaking to them and, and gaining their trust and confidence. So, um, it, it was really something that I knew, you know, this was my calling. This was what I was supposed to be doing at that time. That's right. Natural abilities met natural abilities and you came together and created something, yeah. co-created something amazing. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I presume that at the time you were, you know, coming up in, in the business of music and the legalities of music, most of the power brokers, the people, you know, at the C-suite, if that's, uh, you know, an appropriate term, most of the people making these, these big deal, multi-figure deals were male. 
Um, perhaps they still are, I don't know. But how did you handle being not only the only woman in the room, but the only really different person in the room and more importantly yeah. at the table? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it was never easy. I went in very ignorant about it. I was like, I just thought, oh, like there's always like a bunch of women. And it's like, nope, <laughs> not at all. Not. Um, not at all. And um, I started realizing that I could manipulate situations by being a woman instead of trying to be a man. And um, that I could, you know, use my feminine wits and wiles and understanding of men to like, you know, get what I want, not in a like salacious way, nothing like oh, that. Yeah, you know what I mean? Right. But it's like, well, why can't I have that $6 million? And they're like, oh, well, no one's ever asked me that before, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, why can't I do those things? And, um, and just like, be authentic to who I was, but also very strong, you know, and and just continuing to like, why, why, why? And kind of, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, nag them until I got what I wanted, you know? <laughs> We're good <laughs> and, at nagging, uh, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, and I'm going to turn that into a positive word. So, um, <laughs> and, you know, and it really helped that I was super, uh, a lot of my clients were, you know, very underestimated and underappreciated and, and underserved. And so, uh, you know, it became, it was really like being an activist or an advocate really, yeah. you know, yeah. um, when I started working in, you know, representing people in hip hop, you know, predominantly black men, predominantly yes. from, you know, urban, you know, yeah. you know, areas, um, underserved, underprivileged in the projects, you know, um, and they didn't have, you know, billboard, you know, didn't have its own chart for hip hop. It, the Grammys weren't televising the hip hop awards, you know, but that it, like, you know, so there's a lot of things people were just, you know, every, you know, the morals causes were crazy, you know, and, and so it became easy for me to fight for their equality and their worth. And, um, and I took great pride in it. And it's, uh, and it was, I was really passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, that's clearly, that's clearly yeah. evidence. So again, yeah. kudos to you. Um, when did you notice working with all those people and certainly uh, being at the forefront of representation uh, for um, hip hop artists and R&B artists in the music industry, when did you first notice the lack of gender parity in the industry? I had done a deal that we represented a lot of executives in the music industry. Mm -hmm. They tend to get actual contracts and offered contracts very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I was working with, I got handed like, you know, a deal for this guy and it was at a publishing company and he was a director level and he was offered $130,000. And, you know, I did the deal and I was like, okay, you know, people get paid pretty well in the music yeah. industry. Um, and then I did a deal for, you know, the senior director in the same department. It was an A&R department, meaning that they're the ones who find the talent, the songwriters, which brings in the revenue for the company, the yes. revenue generators. And she was given 90. And, you know, I was kind of assigned this and like and the staff meeting. And I went, wait, what? Yeah. 90? What are you talking about? Like, we just did the one for the guy underneath her and he's getting 130. It's like, well, whatever. Like, that's what he's, she's fine with it. That's what they agreed to. And I'm like, but why are we fine with this? We have this knowledge. Yeah. Like, this is awful why would that be okay? And then, um, you know, I uh, just kept noticing. So he goes, fine. Okay. You, you know, you get her more money. And I tried to get her more and I get her like 10,000 more dollars, but that was it. She never forgot that post about it all the time. We're still friends <laughs> and her, 
and she, you know, went on to have a really, you know, pretty big career and her husband is really big in the music industry. And so, you know, we, um, uh, you know, I just started really advocating for that. And then I started noticing like more and more of it happening. And then by the time you're in the C-suite, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and compounded over time is millions of dollars. That's right. So I, you know, I went and I bought like these books at Barnes and Noble. Like I, like I'm not, you know, I'm not educated in this. How do I like talk to women about, you know, you know, advocating for their worth. And so I found three books. That was it. Wow. I so remember going, I'm looking for like, you know, gender equality and they're like way over and this like tiny <laughs> in the corner. Back corner. <laughs> I'm like, there are three books. <laughs> And it was, if you don't have big boobs, wear ponytails, which is by Barbara Corcoran. Wow. Um, nice girls don't get the corner off as one-on-one and play like a man and win like a woman, which is by Gail Evans, who is amazing. Um, wow. And basically all the tenets are still true. And, yeah. you know, when people have rewritten books, they basically have written the same thing um, and the same kind of things that we have done, you know, as women to actually hold ourselves back. But then, you know, the institutional gender, you know, inequality and gender um just like discrimination as well. Uh, So that's when I started noticing it. And I was just always like perplexed, like, why isn't this like a state of emergency? Why don't more people care about this? Both genders, like, this is not okay, you know? Yeah. Um, And that, yeah, started it. And it never stopped my passion for that. (laughs) And is that when you had your aha moment and decided to pivot to launch your own firm? Well, that happened like, you know, in the beginning of my career, that mm-hmm. initial, you know, thing. But what happened was, you know, I was going through my career and I, you know, I went in after the 11 years at, you know, the Carol Guido and Groppen, I went into Rock Nation in-house. I was general counsel. I was in the EVP doing all strategic marketing and business development there. Then when I went to Superfly, I was, um, you know, the president. I joined our friend D's organization. We, I was the chairwoman you know, there, and that was all through, you know, my time at Rock Nation. So I was, you know, joining these organizations for women's equality and, you know, networking and all of that. But I was, you know, I, I like to say I was like making money for men by dang trying to overthrow the patriarchy at night. And so when I, when my deal was coming up at Superfly, you know, it, there was no reason for me to continue on. I had done the job there. They didn't need me anymore. I didn't need to stay there. And it was like, you know what, guys? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty, curated by Dr. Shirley Medir, MD. Live beautifully and help make the world a more beautiful place. Parlay that into doing the exact same thing, but only for women. Use all of that experience and help women only. And so that's what the Justice Department does. It, we have a law firm on one side called a justice firm. We have consulting strategy and management company on the other side called Lady Business. And um, we are helping women, you know, like financially in their deal making, um, you know, make more money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because when women have more money, they will have more power. And this world will be a better place because we will do better things with it than the current people with a lot of money. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) So your firm, the Justice Department is, again, just beautifully and aptly named. I I love, again, how everything just came together. It was almost as if this was your God-given purpose, right? Yes. Um, 
you help women, as you say, to um, make more money, to get the pay that they deserve, to achieve their business goals. Uh, you provide advice uh, for women looking to climb the career ladder and um, to negotiate better deals through lady business. If I may ask this, what qualities embody your ideal client? Like if you could sit in, in your office, in your office uh, desk chair and have the ideal client come in, who would she look like and what would she be looking for? Well, the first thing that she needs to have is the understanding that there is an issue, right? And that that women are not equal. And if we think that we can stay in the patriarchal system and become equal, it's going to be over 200 years, right? Um, (laughs) And that's a quality for all of us. That's for every race, you know. Uh, you know, ev- you know, and the good news about women is we're 50% of the population. So we're every race, religion, socioeconomic background, you know, um, sexual orientation. And so um, you support women, you know, it's, it's easy to, you know, and so to understand that, like they have, they have to understand that that is an issue because um, it is, it is in our DNA and it's how we approach business. Yeah. And then, you know, and then how to solve that um, is to give business to women, right? And to give business to women, not just ones that are in the patriarchal system that ladder up to men, but like really take chances on women building their own things. And that is, we control 80% of the purchasing power. And if we used all that purchasing power and only gave our, our, our dollars to women at the top, right? That where it ladders up to the top, think about how we could change things in such a short period of time. Absolutely. Um, and so those are just like things that in their DNA that I, I need. I'm really targeting women who've been in business for a while, right? So they are somebody who not, it's not typically like I love to give advice and things like this for women starting out, et cetera. But that's not my typical client. My typical client has a business that's been, you know, going for a while, um, or, a, you know, building their brand and they have serious traction and it's like, how do we take it to the next level? Got it. You know? Yes. Um, because that's where my sweet spot is. It's not starting from zero. It's kind yes. of like, okay, we're on first base. Like, how do we get to home plate? Not to use male, um, you know, sports analogies. But yeah. <laughs> it seems to work. <laughs> it works. <laughs> your, your roster of clients is I mean, absolutely impressive. And um, I mentioned some of them earlier, but others include um, Amy Sacco. Um, remember those days? Yeah. <laughs> Karen Toomey. And those classes kick my butt too. Yeah. And, and of course, our mutual connection, Garance Doré. Um, of course. And that's just uh, to name a few. Everybody has to start somewhere. Right? The, these fabulous you know, names and these fabulous women, they had to start from somewhere. So whether you know, whether we are seasoned or we're just starting out in your experience, what would you say are the one or two most common mistakes that women make when they are looking to scale and grow and go to the next level, as you mentioned? Right. Um, I think the, the major mistake is not hiring the right proper person with experience to help them do that. You know, um, it's like, you know, you're a doctor, right? It's like, if I want to go, you know, I don't go to you when I have a heart problem, right? right. Um, and I don't expect you to learn about my heart problem. Right. So you need the proper people around you who know how to do it. And, you know, I, and, and, and you can't do everything alone. Absolutely. And women often have this thing about saving money and doing it all themselves, yes. right? And so yes. the analogy I always use is 
we don't, you know, well, pre-COVID anyway, and hopefully soon, you know, we don't do our own nails. We don't watch our own kids, you know, if we're working, we don't do our own hair. We, you know, we don't clean our own houses. Why would you be able to be your own lawyer, accountant, PR person, you know, everything all at once, you know? At least if you have that choice, that those options. Yes. And my clients do have that choice, you know, it's like hire the lawyer, you know, hire the lawyer. I hire lawyers for me. Yeah. You know, it's like hire the lawyer that can help you hire the right person that can network for you hire that right business development person hire that right PR branding person. Um, and you need, you know, so those are the people who are really going to help you, you know, f- from a legal perspective, if you don't have everything right in the beginning and you're not watching out for your business, yeah. those are the stories that we keep hearing, yeah. you know, the massive female founders who have 0.1% of their company and are getting skewered in the, the press, you know, or, yeah. or the ones who, you know, who've just been they're work, they're the ones working, you know, 40 out of, out of 24 hours in a day. And like everyone else is making more money than them. Yeah. You know, uh, it, just, just not protecting yourself and, and hearing those horror stories. You know, and the, the, the women that never are like, oh, I don't want to rock the apple cart. And I know that I'm a partner in this big company, but I don't want somebody to like come in and negotiate my deal. I'm like, no, you, you need that because the guy who's 10 years junior than you in the next office, I just bought a second Hamptons home is making three times as much money as you, you know, it's just all of those things and just not really properly negotiating for yourself and for no, negotiating for your business. Yeah. And one of your missions is to help women make more money, as you mentioned. Um, But in one of the interviews that I read about, you stated that um, uh, more money gives women, yes, more money gives women more power, confidence, and choices. Is, Is making more money simply a matter of women having the confidence to ask for what we know we deserve or are are there other variables that we can control to help us make more money? I think, yes, that is, that is one of them. It's, it's asking for your worth. Right. And if you have the means, you should have um, somebody negotiate on your behalf and do that for you. Yeah. You know, it's never like, you know, you're sitting in the room, like, tell me what you want. No, tell me what you're offering. Yeah. And okay. You're offering that. Great. Let me think about that. You know, you don't have to go back immediately. You don't have to feel like that force. But if you're making more money, even if you think that you are fine without it, right? I'd say this to people all the time too. You know, the guy next to you is making 250. Your job is like for 250, right? So I don't, you know, I only need $100,000 to live. I mean, we're in New York City. That's crazy. Yeah. But still, you know, right. um, take that 250 and do something with it then. You know, invest in female founders. You know, only 2% right. of uh, women, you know, females get the VC and uh, 0.5 if you're a woman of color. Like, yeah. invest in them, yes. spread it out, you yeah. know, getting friends and family money is very difficult for yeah. women in general, you know, do, you know, donate to your charity, you know, help somebody else, but, but take it because yeah. you're not helping that woman coming up behind you that really needs it and supports her whole family. Right. You know, you're not helping your own kids learn about their own worth, yeah. you know, and all you're doing is helping your bosses make more money. Yeah. You're not like saving the company you know, anything it's somebody's taking that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You also stated that men get hired for potential and women get hired for experience, meaning um, it's after we've proven 
we can get the job done right, that we'd be considered to um, get hired. So understanding that this is part of a, of a very longstanding uh, systemic and pervasive patriarchal societal gender bias, what, what can we do now to help change the tide for the better, not only for ourselves, but as you mentioned, for the people coming up behind us, next to us, you know, coming up. Yeah, Rick, I, I think it's a lot of about education, right? It's about talking about these things and not being like, oh, I can't say like my favorite, like quoting, like I loved that show Veep, you know, when she was yeah. running for president and her, you know, minion right hand, Gary would be like, oh, talk about how you're a woman, a strong woman. She's like, I can't say a woman. No one wants, I'm a woman. No one wants to hear that, you know, right. but we have to, like yeah. we are, we're women. We are different. Celebrate our differences. Um, do you know these facts? You know, it's like, talk about those facts. Do you know that? I remember when I left Rock Nation and I was talking to headhunters, like, well, I was like, I want a president level or above. They're like, you've never been a president. I go, neither was Obama until he was. Like, right. exactly. How am I going to, like, but I have all, you know, the makings and experience to take that next leap. That's and right. I just had to, I was just unapologetic about it. And I, so I found a place where I could have that title, you know? Yes. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It's going to take women, you know, twice as long as it takes men to find that. But like, that is the role that I want. And that is the role that I will accept. And why would I accept less than that? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's fighting for that. Um, and, and what, in whatever that is. Whatever. So it's, you know, it's education. It's also, you know, educating all of them around it and for women to understand and make sure that we're not making the same mistakes as men are, you know, we're not falling into that trap too. Now, how did you learn all this about money? Did, were you very aware of money as a child? And, and how did you get your money education? Because you are really savvy um, and, and one focused, as you know, as they say in Buddhism, you know, have that one focused mind about where you want to be and how, you know, and what you're willing to do to get that. Where did that come from? Because I want some of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think a lot of it is from making a lot of mistakes. Mm. A lot of it is seeing how when I was really just analyzing why we don't have more clout and power as a whole when we're 50% of the population, you cannot take, take the fact away that like we live in a capitalist society. And, you know, women don't like to talk about money. They think it's icky. It's not the end all be all. And it's not. That's not what it's about. But you know what? It gives you choices. Like when my mother, when we were growing up, we had no choice because we had no money. So it allows you the choice to, if you're in a really, really horrible situation in your job, to quit and still feed your family. It allows you to your peace of mind, you know, because I know what it's like not to have money. And it is a luxury not to have to think about what you're going to eat. Indeed. You know, it is a luxury not to have to think about feeding your kids. It's a luxury not to have to think about housing. And so, you know, it does not buy you happiness, but it buys you a certain luxury of comfort and convenience that it doesn't add, it doesn't add stress to you. Right. Yes. And so, you know, the, and we just are not going to do the same things that men do with their money. You know, I use this analogy to, to men and they like cringe, but I'm like, if you and I each had hundreds of millions of dollars, we would not be in our private jets individually flying to a private Island that our accountant Fred owned to have <laughs> sex with underage men. Okay. We would not do that. Yeah. We would not do anything half as salacious as that. Oh my God. We would use it for greater good. 
Wow. You know, yeah. we just would. And so, um, uh, like that's the, like, to me, the one way in, and we, and we will build community around it. Like, you know, and, and when, when we have it, we give it more, we, it, there's all this proof that it's like, and all this data that their trickle down economics actually works among women. Yeah. you know, feeding community, you pay more to the people that are helping you out. Um, and that is, you know, for the most part, I'm sure there's few exceptions, but you know, um, if we all had it and we didn't feel like we were competing for that one office, yes. one spot, and we had enough to give it around, what, what, what could happen? Like, think about that. It would totally be different. It was to it say was the very least. different. To yeah. Say the least. Yeah. You've just listened to part one of Forever Fab podcast. Please stay tuned for part two coming up next.